no junior church, which means you all have to listen to me. Yeah. Thank you, Bart, for reading that scripture. It was kind of a, a little bit of a strange scripture, right? I mean, just sort of, in case you're wondering, this is the first time that Elijah appears in, in scripture. This is like his big introduction. He just shows up one day. He's the son of someone or from the land of so-and-so, and suddenly he brings a message from the Lord. Um, right there is... We start our uh, fourth sermon in this sermon series, Prophets, Priests, and Kings. Uh, We're back to prophet, and so we're going to be talking about uh, the prophet Elijah. Uh, With Moses, he is one of the most important uh, prophets within the canon of Scripture. Uh, He is the one that appeared with Moses on the Mount Transfiguration with Jesus uh, to, to have a chat, which I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for that chat. You know, Jesus is up on the on the Mount of Olives, and suddenly he's transfigured, and Moses and Elijah are there, and they're just just chilling, just chatting. Do you think he's like, hey, am I doing a good job? And Elijah's like, well, I mean, you're not prophesying, you know, droughts and things, but sure, why not? I don't know. I don't know what that conversation was like. Uh, I like to draw out little tiny nuggets from some of these lights, lives that maybe is uh, applicable to us. And I always thought that the beginning of the, the ministry of Elijah is, is interesting because it comes out uh, of nowhere. It's just suddenly you're in chapter 16 and this guy is king and everything's fine. And then you skip over to chapter 17 and suddenly Elijah is on the scene. And I think it's uh, the lesson for us is that sometimes God's going to get your attention in dramatic fashion Uh, Your life is going to be going along on a daily basis, in a daily routine. Not, uh, you're always expecting the same thing. You know what's coming. You know what restaurant you eat on Sunday after church. You go to the Cowboy Cafe every single week. That's just where you go. I didn't call anyone out. I'm just saying life gets into this rhythm, and then suddenly what God does is he, like, he drops something. And someone who you don't know, someone who maybe you've never met or never heard of before will come and have a prophetic message from the Lord. Uh, and that prophetic me- message could be a good one. It could be a bad one. It could be calling you into some ministry that you never thought about. Or it could be uh, challenging you that maybe the life you're living is not great. That maybe uh, bacon, fried bacon, while delicious, is probably not the most healthy for you. And so Elijah, Elijah, see, the problem is, is when we're recording the sermons, the the board records everything that goes into my microphone, so it can't actually hear the sarcastic comments that my wife is making. It's it's horrifying. But now everyone online is on my side. Elijah shows up on the scene, and the first thing he does is is prophesy uh, a drought, which, in case you're wondering, in a society that bases its livelihood of planting crops and raising sheep, a drought is devastating. A drought uh, is one of the most horrendous things that this kind of society can go through. Now, originally I'm from Australia, and we went through years and years of droughts. And every time the, the, the clouds would roll over, you'd get this like hopeful you know, like, oh, it's coming, it's coming, and then it would just keep going and you'd never get it. It would roll out to sea. And, and every, every time, uh, the, the droughts in Australia, in case you're wondering, got so bad that the, the government actually sent us egg timers uh, to stick in our showers. And what we would do is 
um, you would stick it on the wall, and when you turned on the faucet for the shower to start, you would flip the egg timer, and you only had that, that three minutes. And that's how much time you got in the shower, and then as soon as it hit the zero, you had to, to hit it off. And if your family, every family, you know, is allocated a certain amount of water for the amount of people in the household, if you went over, you had to pay uh, astronomical drought bi uh, water bills because they, they, they needed to conserve every single drop because they, they needed uh, the, the water to, to grow the food that we eat. And so this drought is coming. Uh, and Elijah says, essentially, he comes to the king and he says, you know what, uh, things are coming, it's going to be bad. Um, it, it's, it's you're going to go in for through this drought and it's because of your behavior and, and he's prophesying and everything is, is great. And then the first thing that he does, what scripture tells us, uh, is actually that he... Um, he, he gets up, and as soon as he prophesies, the Spirit of the Lord takes him off into the wilderness. Uh, sometimes the Spirit of the Lord is going to lead you in a direction that you're not comfortable with. Sometimes the Spirit of the Lord is going to lead you in a direction that maybe you don't have the training to go to. That maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of the Lord is going to lead you down the path where you're not familiar, and you're like, I'm not sure I want to go this way. And so uh, uh, Elijah is led into the wilderness. He's uh, led to this place where uh, a bird brings him food every morning, which I think would be weird. Yes? No? Maybe? Like, you know, a raven comes down and he's carrying something to eat. You're like, oh, okay, thank you, Mr. Raven. Like, I'm not sure if, you, uh, if any of you are familiar with the movie Castaway. Uh, it's a movie with Tom Hanks, and about halfway through the movie, I'm not going to any spoilers that aren't in the titles, he becomes a castaway. And he develops a relationship with a volleyball. Volleyball's name is Wilson. Okay? Do you think Elijah started talking to this raven? Do you think he gave him a raven-like name? Maybe it was George. That's what I think. I think George is a good raven name. And so this raven is bringing him food, and he's drinking out of this, this brook that's, uh, that's happening, and, and, and suddenly the brook dries up because there's a drought in this land. And sometimes sometimes when the, the prophetic word of the Lord comes, it also has consequences for Christians. It also has consequences for believers. And a lot of times what we like to do is think, oh yeah, yeah, God's going to protect me, God's on my side, so the drought that's going to hit everyone else, it's not going to affect me because I'm a, I'm a good Christian person, I'm a good, good person. And yeah, God's going to protect you and he's going to uh, sustain you, but sometimes you go through the same effects of the discipline of the Lord that everyone else has to go through. And sometimes if you're not grounded in your faith, if you're not grounded in your relationship with Jesus, uh, that feels like a punishment and suddenly your faith starts to waver just a little bit. You're like, but God, I, I did everything you asked. You told me to prophesy to the king. I prophesied. And then you sent me off here and I've been eating out of a raven's mouth for a very long time. I mean, George is bringing me this food. It's not exactly nice food, Lord. I mean, this isn't a five-star restaurant that we're at. This isn't exactly the Cowboy Cafe, I'm just saying. And so, so Elijah uh, is doing everything that, that God tells him to do, and then we're going to jump forward in the story a little bit uh, to may maybe the, the most uh, important story uh, in the life of Elijah. It is uh, uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Do you, do you know the story from Sunday school? If you don't, this is a great story. You need to, you need to get there. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, and we're going to, to jump here into, vo uh, into verse uh, 22. 
uh, in this time period, um, oh, sorry, no, uh, Mount Carmel, I'm, I'm on the wrong verse. Uh, I was going to say, in this time period, this is where God sent Elijah to the widow and the widow's son, and she said, I don't have enough food for everyone. He says, just bake it anyway, God will provide. And for as long as he stayed there, the oil and the flour never ran out. Uh, then the, the son of the widow uh, passed away, and Elijah brought him back to life. Uh, to prove that he was a prophet of God, that he had the, the Holy Spirit living in him and that he was doing all this prophesying and speaking from the power of God. Uh, that's kind of important because it sets up what happens on Mount Carmel, which is uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, rather, chapter 18, verse 21. So 1 Kings uh, 18, 21, and this is what Scripture says. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if, his, if Baal uh, is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him with a word. <coughs> now, forgive me, one, one of those songs I was trying to sing and my voice decided it, was, it wasn't going to play nicely. So my voice is a little bit tired this morning. I love this, this line that Elijah says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Uh, if we're being honest, we've all met Christians like this. We've all met Christians, had conversations with people who seem to go limping between two uh, opinions. You know, they, they, they love Jesus and they love God, but there's other things that is attractive in their life. There are other sinful things that they want to engage in because uh, it, they think it's going to bring them wealth or prosperity or it's going to give them peace or, or something that's not from God. And so what they do is they sort of limp between the two different uh, positions, the two different opinions, rather than fully trusting and obeying in God, they're saying, yeah, yeah I, 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 I trust in God, but I think I can also do a little bit better by myself. Uh, have we met some of these people? I've met some of these people. I think it's, it goes back to the sinful condition and the way that we are as humans is that uh, uh, we want to believe in God, we want to trust in God, but it's a little bit difficult to shake that sinful nature. And so what we try and do is hedge our, betches, bet, uh, our, uh, our bets and say, hey, yeah, I'm going to believe in God, love God, trust God, follow God. I'm going to go to church on Sunday and I'm going to sing the songs. I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to tithe a certain amount. Uh, everything's going to be good. But I'm also going to do this over here. And if I don't tell anyone... No one's going to know. Except that scripture says that we can't hide anything from God. The psalmist says that you can't flee from the presence of God. If you go to the highest mountains, he's there. If you go to the lowest valleys, he's there. And so even though you think you're being all clever, saying, oh yeah, I can get away from God. I can just live my life the way I want it. But no. Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when people call you out, you sort of just lose that power of speech for a second because you know they're right? You know that second, like, you've been arguing and you've been arguing and, and you've convinced that you're right and you've been arguing like you're right, but then actually there's that little click button in the back of your brain that you're like, oh man, I messed up. Uh, I've been doing this wrong the entire time. And like when that clicks off, your mouth clicks shut and you can't say anything. That's sort of what the people of Israel, uh, I think, are going through. Um, they've been going through this flip-flopping. They've been following Baal. They've been trying to follow God. And, and if you know anything about following God, he's a jealous God. He doesn't want these people to flip-flop between uh, who they're worshipping. It's either God or, or, or Baal. But you can't choose both. And so this sets up... Uh, one of the most awesome scenes in the in the Old Testament, I call it the duel. 
This is a duel between 450 prophets of Baal and one prophet of God. The one prophet of God is our man Elijah. He is the, the star of today's show. And he goes up to this mountain and he essentially says this, look, let's do this. Let's set up two altars. You set yours up according to your traditions and your faith to your God over there. And I'm going to come over here and I'm going to set up my altar to my God according to his commands. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bring a sacrifice to both. We're going to make this completely equal and fair. Whichever God decides he's going to honor the sacrifice, that's the God that Israel is going to worship. It is a duel. It is a logical smackdown simply saying, if your God is powerful enough to save the Israelites, let him prove it. And if my God is powerful enough to save the Israelites, let's prove it. And let's not have any of this wishy-washy, well, maybe, da-da-da-da-da. No, it is a logic smackdown duel between these two people, right? Uh, and here is the only scriptural uh, basis I have that says that taunting someone is okay. Because Elijah, the prophet of God who spoke for God, taunted the prophets of Baal from the early morning all the way through the evening. So these prophets are jumping around, they're offering sacrifices, they're doing all the things, they're chanting their songs. Uh, in case you're wondering, sorry, this side, you're the prophets of Baal. This is where I've decided his altar is. The prophets of God are on that side. Nothing personal, it's just the way I vision things in my mind. And so they're jumping around, they're, they're, they're tearing up a scene, they're doing all this thing. Uh, scripture says they actually start cutting their, themselves and offering their own blood as an offering to this God to try and get him to do something. And they start early in the morning, they go out through the entire day, uh, and it says uh, a little bit in the afternoon, Elijah starts taunting them. So the he's over on this side. I can imagine him sort of a uh, little bit laid back, little bit like maybe kicking back on a chair, feet up on his desk, coffee in hand. He's relaxed at this point. He's like, shout louder. Shout Maybe he can't hear you. Shout a little louder. It actually says in scripture, uh, uh, perhaps he's on the throne. Interestingly enough, in Hebrew, it's not the word throne. It's actually the word for toilet. So he essentially says, maybe your God's gone to the bathroom at the other end of the house and he can't hear you. Maybe you should shout a little louder get his attention. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, in, in our house, the way our house is set up, the living room is at one end of the house and the bathroom is at the other end of the house. And if I want to get my wife's attention when she's in the restroom, I have to get up and walk there because no amount of shouting is going to get her attention because it's a far away place. Does that make sense? And, and, so, and so what uh, Elijah does is he starts taunting these prophets. He starts saying, maybe he's fallen asleep. Because it doesn't matter what you worship, if it's not God, it's never going to respond to you the way that a living God can. Because if you're worshipping your sin, your sin is a dead thing, and it's never going to respond. It's never going to jump up and, 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 and engage you in the same way that the presence of the living God will. And so they're jumping around, they're cutting themselves, their blood is flowing because uh, in their culture, uh, 
uh, blood is the most important thing that you can offer. They believe that life is in the blood and that their life force was associated with their blood. So if they cut their arms, their blood would flow. Uh, and that was the, the best offering that they could possibly give to their God. And so you've got to imagine that this, this altar that they've built, they've been dancing around it. It says they worship, uh, whip themselves up into a frenzy. They actually even uh, took the party over to the altar over there and they started breaking down uh, Elijah's altar uh, as they were going. Um, but but th they kept going and they kept going and nothing happened. It says this, at noon Elijah mocked them crying aloud for, uh, crying aloud, uh, for he is a god. Uh, either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be wakened. And the taunting went on and their religious fervor went on. And maybe a little subnote is that sometimes religious fervor, when it's not focused on God, is a bad thing. Maybe focusing on elements of worship rather than focusing on the God they're worshiping can be a bad thing. Focusing on the way we do church rather than who we're doing church for can be a bad thing. And I say can, because I believe that we need to do our absolute, absolute best for God, we need to do the best job that we possibly can, represent Him well to the world, but sometimes when that becomes the focus instead of God, it becomes a sin. So Elijah's, Elijah's altar has been knocked down, and so this is what Scripture says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And so he builds up this altar, and then he does something really strange. He says, tell the men to dig a trench around it. Dig a trench. And I'm going to do something really weird. I'm going to put water on my altar. Now, how many of you have uh, ever tried to go camping and light a fire? Okay. When you're making a fire, do you douse it with water before you light the match? No. You have water nearby in case something happens, but you never... You can get the match, get the lighter fluid. Oh, let's put water on that first. That seems weird. And so what Elijah is doing is he, he tells them uh, to, to douse it with water. In fact, this is what Scripture says. He put the wood in order and cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Now, these jars are big jars. Like, these aren't like little, little tiny things. No, he's got big jars, and so he's got the stones, he's got the wood, he's got the bull, and he says, pour it over. And they pour these four jars over, and then what it says, he said, do it a second time. So another four jars come, and they, they, they cover it over. And then he says, do it a third time, and another four jars, and they soak it. And what Scripture tells us is that the wood, uh, the meat rather, was completely soaked through. The wood was completely soaked through. Uh, it had dripped off the stones, and it completely filled the trench around the altar. Now, the nation of Israel had been in a drought for how long? So how precious was the water? I'm going to tell you that more often than not, what God cares more about what you want to sacrifice, the bull on top of the altar... He wants you to bring what's most precious to you and put it on the altar as a sacrifice. In that particular time, 
in that day, the most important thing that they had was water. It was how they kept their crops alive. It was how they kept their flocks alive. And yet 12 massive jars of water for the sacrifice to the living God. I'm going to tell you that each one of us has at least one thing in common. Our most precious non-renewable resource, the only thing that we can never get back is time. And I firmly believe that what God wants us in today's world to be putting on that altar and sacrificing to him is the time that we have. Because we use our time in, in a various number of ways, and some of them are good ways. <coughs> some of you today after church are going to go and you're going to watch football, and that's fine. And some of you are going to, to watch shows on TV or Netflix or, or do something like that. Some of us, myself included, are probably going to go home and play video games, and that's okay as long as those things don't become more important than God. And I, I believe that in today's world where everything, everything out there is trying to get your attention and is competing for your attention and competing for your time. When, when we do stuff, um, we have a Facebook page for the Salvation Army and uh, I do research as to what's going to be the best effective post to put on that Facebook page. And, and, and there are interesting data coming back from surveys about the way that people uh, interact with things and, and how long they'll give to a certain thing before they click off. Um, you can do a, uh, a survey online as long as it's 10 questions or less. If it's more than 10 questions, most people click off and won't complete it because people's time is valuable and you can put it somewhere else. You can invest it somewhere else. And so Elijah douses the altar with water. And this is, this is his prayer. This is really interesting prayer that Elijah prays, not because there's anything deeply theologically important or different about this prayer, but because it works in its simplicity. A lot of times as Christians, what we do is we sort of trick ourselves into thinking that we need to use long or big words when we talk to God. We need to pray in the King James language. We need to, to, to really, you know, long prayers but Elijah proves that his prayers can be quite simple and yet quite effective. This is what he prayed. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He identifies who he's praying to. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. It's what he wants. And that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Isn't that a simple prayer? going to tell you that kind of prayer would be immeasurably useful today when you go out into this world god you know the type of people that are out here turn their hearts back let them know that you're god it can be that simple i think it needs to be that simple well the end of the story is is really quite not shocking to us, probably shocking for the people who are watching. As soon as Elijah finished that prayer, fire came down from heaven and it consumed the offering. It consumed the wood. It consumed the water. And it consumed the 12 stones of the altar. There was nothing left. 
God displayed his power in such an incredible and mighty way that, that when Elijah finished that prayer, boom, it was gone. And the result was that every person who was gathered there knew that God was God. The purpose of the Lord hasn't changed in all this time. God still declares that he is God. God declares that he is the way, the truth, the life, and no one can enter into eternity except through him. God declares his power, his might, and his wisdom throughout the entirety of Scripture. It started at the beginning of the Bible. It doesn't end at the end. It continues on in today's society. That what I believe that we need to do, the number one thing as Christians, is stop pretending like our God is so weak. Stop acting like our God is so insignificant. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, it doesn't need to be offensive. You can keep on believing what you want to believe. You can keep on doing what you want to do. Don't, don't worry. I'm not going to judge you. Don't worry. You can live your life the way you want as long as you don't interfere with me. And that, It's wishy-washy and it's stupid. And for the simple reason that it betrays how incredibly powerful our God is. And that is important because it means that we know that we're not playing for the losing team. Like, I, I don't know the best way of, of putting this over, but there's a lot of Christians who act like they're playing for the Cleveland Browns. If you know anything about football, that's a burn to the Cleveland Browns. They don't win a lot. And a lot of Christians act like we're on this team rather than the team that has won the Super Bowls. A lot of times what we do is we pretend like we're on this, or we act rather, that we're on this, this losing team, that we don't need to offend anyone, that we just need to leave us alone, put us in our box, put us in our corner, just leave us alone, just, just don't do anything. Just leave us be, and we'll be fine. We'll, we'll do church on Sunday morning, everything will be great. We'll come in, we'll sing some songs, and then we'll leave, and then we don't have to offend anyone, we don't have to upset anyone. And I'm telling you, the purpose of the Lord, clearly declared in Scripture, is that we, as a nation, as a, as a Christian nation, uh, sorry, a Christian people, a holy nation, is what we read through the prophet Moses, that we have to go out and declare how powerful our God is. And Elijah did it. Elijah called forth the power of God. He said, Lord, if, if it's your will that these people should know, do this thing. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't a lot of words. It wasn't big words. And he didn't pray it in the King James language. He simply said, Lord, let's just do this thing. Let these people turn back to you. We're going to end our time together this morning, and I want you just to sit and reflect just a little bit. Um, I'm going to invite Bart. Is Bart? Yeah, I'm going to invite him up. He's going to uh, play our benediction for us in just a minute. But uh, as I close in prayer, I just want to pray this with you. So if you close your eyes, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the God above all other gods. We know that you are more powerful than anything we can possibly imagine. Lord, we know that the purpose of your will has not changed and that as our responsibility as Christians is to go into this world, sacrifice the one thing that matters the most to us, our time, and use it to declare that you 
of the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the mighty God, so that this nation can turn its eyes and hearts to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your son's precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you like to stand as we sing our...